Classic Horror Stories From the Dead by E. Nesbitt But true or not true, your brother is a scandal. No man, no decent man, tells such things. He did not tell me. How dare you suppose it? I found the letter in his desk, and she, being my friend, and you being my lover, I never thought there could be any harm in my reading her letter to my brother. Give me back the letter. I was a fool to tell you. Ida Helmont held out her hand for the letter. Not yet, I said. I went to the window. The dull red of London sunset burned on the paper. As I read the quaint, dainty handwriting, I knew so well and kissed so often. Dear, I do. I do love you. But it's impossible. I must marry Arthur. My honour is engaged. For he would only set me free. But he never will. He loves me so foolishly. But as for you, me, it is you I love body, soul, and spirit. There is no one in my heart but you. I think all of you all day, and dream of you all night. We must part. There is That is the way of the world. Goodbye. Yours, yours, yours. Evie. I've seen the handwriting indeed. Often enough, but the passion written there was new to me. That I had not seen. I turned from the window wearily. My sitting room looked strange to me. There were books, my reading lamp, my untasted dinner, still on the table. As I had left it when I rose to assemble, my surprise at Ada Helmut's visit. Ada Helmut, who now sat in my easy chair, looking at me quietly. Well? You give me no thanks. You put a knife in my heart and then ask for a thanks. Pardon me, she said, throwing up her chin. I too have I have done nothing but show you the truth, for that one should expect no gratitude. May I ask, out of mere curiosity, what you intend to do? Your brother will tell you. She rose suddenly pale to the, the lips. You will not tell my brother, she began, that you have, have read his private letters? Certainly not. She came towards me, her golden hair flaming in the sun's light, light, sunset light. Why are you so angry with me, she said. Be reasonable. What else could I do? I don't know. But it would have been nice not to tell you. I don't know. I only know that you put the sun out. I wasn't, hadn't got used to the dark yet. Believe me, she said, coming over still nearer to me, laying her hands in the lightest light touch on my shoulders. Believe me, she never loved you. There was a softness in her tone that irritated and simulated me. I moved gently back. Her hands fell on my, by my, her sides. I beg your pardon, I said. I have behaved very badly. 
You're quite right to come. I'm not great ungrateful. Will you post a letter for me? I sat down and wrote. I give you back your freedom. The only gift of mine that can please you now. Arthur. I held the sheet out to Mrs. Helmut. And when she had glanced at it, I sealed, stamped, addressed it. Goodbye, I said then. I gave her the letter. As the door closed behind her, I sank into my chair. I was not ashamed to say I cried like a child, or full of my lost plaything. A little dark-haired woman who loved someone else with body, soul, and spirit. I did not hear the door open or any foot on the floor. Therefore, I started when a voice behind me said, are you so very unhappy? Oh, Arthur, don't think I'm not sorry for you. I don't want anyone to be sorry for me, Mrs. Elmont, I said. She was silent a moment. Then there was a quick, sudden, gentle movement. She leaned down and kissed my forehead. And I heard the door softly close. Then I knew that the beautiful Miss Elmont loved me. At first that thought only fleeted by. A light cloud against a grey sky. The next day reason woke and said, Was Mrs. Helmet speaking the truth? Was it possible that? I determined to see Elvery, to know from my own lips whether to be happy, whether by happy fortunate fortune this blow came, not for her, but for woman whom love might have killed honestly. I walked from the handstead of Inglovo Street. As I trod its long length, I saw a figure in a pink come out of the house. Is is Evie. She walked in front of me in the corner of Store Street. She met Oscar Helmet. They turned and met me face to face. I saw all I needed to see. and loved each other. Ada Helmet had spoken the truth. I bowed and kissed and passed on. Before six months had gone, they were married, and four years over, I had married Edith Helmut. What did it? What did it? I don't know. Whether it was in remorse or having even half a dream, dreamed that she could be so base to forge a lie to gain a lover, or whether it was her beauty, or the sweet flattery preference of a woman. Oh, had half of her acquaintance at her feet. I don't know, anyhow. My thoughts turned to her, to their natural home. My heart, too, took that road, and before very long, I loved her, as I never loved Evie. Look, let no one doubt that I loved her, as I should never love again. Please, God. There never was any like her. She is brave and beautiful, witty and wise. And beyond all measure adorable. She is the only woman in the world. There was a frankness, a largeness of her heart. About her it made her all other women seem small and contemptible. She loved me, I worshipped her. I married her. I stayed with her for three golden weeks. Then I left her. Why? Because she told me the truth. It was one late night. It was one night late. We had sat all the evening in the veranda of our seaside dwelling, watching the moonlight on the water, and listening to the soft sound of the sea on 
the sand. I've never been so happy. I've never been... I shall never be happy any more. I hope. Hearts, hearts, she said, leaning her gold head against my shoulder. How much do you love me? How much? Yes, how much? I want to know what place it is I hold in your heart. Am I more than you, you, than, to you than anyone else? My love? More than yourself? More than my life? I believe you, he said. Then she drew a long breath and took my hands in hers. It can, make, it can make no difference. Nothing in heaven or earth can come between us now. Nothing, I said, but sweet my life. What is it? For she was a deathly pale. I must tell you, she said, I, I cannot hide anything now from you, because I am yours, body, soul, and spirit. The phrase was an echo that stung me. The moonlight shone on her gold hair, her warm, soft gold hair, on her pale face. Arthur, she said, you remember my coming to you at Hampstead with that letter? Yes, my sweet, I remember how you, Arthur, she spoke fast and low. Arthur, that letter was for forgery. She never wrote it. I, she stopped, for I had risen and flung her hands from my me and stood looking at her. God help me. I thought it, it was anger and a lie. I felt, I know how it was only, it was only woody vanity that smarted me. That I should have been tricked. I should have been deceived. I should have been led to make a fool of myself. That I should have married a woman who befooled me. At the moment she was no longer the wife I adored. She was only a woman who had forged a letter and tricked me into marrying her. I spoke, I denounced her. I would never speak to her again. I felt it was rather credible in me to be so angry. I said I would have no more to do of a liar and forger. I did not whatever whether I expected her to creep to my knees or implore forgiveness. I think I have some vague idea that it could be by consent with dignity to forget and for, forgive and forget. I do not mean what I said. Oh no 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 I did not mean a word of it. While I was saying it I was longer longing for her to weep and fall into my feet at my feet, and then I might raise her and hold her in my arms again. But she did not fall at my feet. She stood quietly looking at me. Arthur, she said, as I paused for breath, let me explain. She, I, there's nothing to explain, I said hotly, still with a foolish sense that there had been something rather noble in my indignation, as no one feels, as one feels when one calls oneself a miserable sinner. You're a liar and a vulture. That's enough for me. I'll never speak to you again. You wrecked my life. Do you mean that? She said, interrupting me, leaning forward to look at me. Tears lay on her cheeks, but she's not, she was not crying now. I hesitated. I longed to take her in my arms and say, Lay your head there, my darling, and cry here. I know how I love you. But said, I kept silent. Do you mean it? She persisted. Then she put her hand on my arm. I longed to grasp it and draw her to me. Instead, I shook it off and said, 
Mean it? Yes. Of course I mean it. Don't touch me, please. You have ruined my life. She turned away without a word, went into her room and shut the door. I longed to follow her. That was, if there was anything to forgive, I forgave it. Instead, I went out on the beach and walked away under the cliffs. The moonlight and solitude, however, presently brought me a better mind. Whatever she had done, had been done for the love of me. I knew I would go home and tell her so. Tell her that whatever she had done, she was my dearest love, life. My heart's own one treasure. True, my ideal for her was shattered, but even as she was, what was the whole world of women compared to her? I hurried back, but in my resentment and evil temper, I walked far, and the way back was very long. I've been parted from her for three hours by the time I opened the door the little house where we lodged. Harmless was dark and very still. I slipped off my shoes and crept on the narrow stairs. I opened the door of my room quite softly. Perhaps she would have kissed quite herself to sleep. And I would lean over her and waken her with my, with my kisses. I beg her to forgive me. Yes, it had come to that now. I went to the, into the room. I went towards the bed. She was not there. She was not in the room. One glance showed me. She was not in the house, as I knew in two minutes. When I had wasted a precious hour in searching the town for her, I found a note on the dressing table. Goodbye. Make the best of what your life, of your what is left of your life. I will not spoil it no more. She is found gone, utterly gone. I rushed to town by the early morning train, only to find that people knew nothing of her. Advertisement failed. Only Tramp said he met a white lady on the cliff. A fisherman brought me a handkerchief marked with a name, but he found on the beach. I searched the country far and wide, but I had to go back to London at last, and the months went by. I wouldn't say much about those months, because even the memory of that suffering turned me to fate and sick at heart. The police and detectives and press filled me utterly. My friends would not help me, and one help moreover, while indignant with me, especially my brother, now living very happily with my first love. I don't know how I got through those warm weeks and months. I tried to write, I read, tried to read. I tried to live the life of a reasonable human being, but it was impossible. I could not endure the companionship of my kind. Day and night, I almost saw her face, almost heard her voice. I looked, took long walks in the country. Her figure was always just round the next turn of the road, the next glade of the wood. But I never quite saw her, never quite heard her. I believe I was not altogether sane at that time. At last, one morning, I was setting out from one of those long walks that had no goal but weariness. I got a telegram. Got a telegraph boy. I took the red envelope from his hand. I met a telegraph boy and took the red envelope from his hand. On the pink paper inside was written, Come to me at once, I'm dying. Come. You must come, Ida. Abisham Farm. Miller, Derbyshire. There was a train at twelve in the Maple. The nearest station, I took it. I tell you, there were some things that cannot be written about. My life was those long months was one of them. Journey was another. 
What had been had my life been for those months? A question troubled me. Once it has troubled every nerve at the sight of surgical operation, the wound inflicted on the idea of being dear to me, but the overmastering sensation was joy, intense, unspeakable joy. She's alive. I must see her again. I must. I took out the diagram and looked at it. I am dying. I simply did not believe it. She did not tell me, die, could not die till she seen me. If she had lived all those months without me, she could live on now. When I was her again, she knew all the hell I endured apart from her, and the heaven of our meeting. She must live. I would not let her die. There's a long drive of the bleak hills, dark, jointing, infuriating, wearisome. At last we stopped along before a long, low building, where one of the lights gleamed faintly. I sprang out. The door opened. A blaze of light made me blink and draw back. A woman was standing in the doorway. Art thy Arbut Marsh? said she. Yes. Thou'rt out late to a little lower late. She's dead. Two. I went in the house, walked to the fire, held out my hand to it mechanically, for though the night was made May, I was cold to the bone. There were some folks standing round the fire, and lights flickering. An old woman came forward with a northern instinct of fidelity. Thou art tired, she said, amazed like. Have a sup of tea. I burst out laughing. It was not funny. It's too funny. I travelled two hundred miles to see her. She was dead. They offered me tea. They drew, they drew back from me as I had been a wild beast. But I could not stop laughing. Then a hand was laid on my shoulder as someone led me to a dark room, lent a lamp, sent me in a chair, and it was sat opposite me. It was a bare parlour, coldly furnished, with brushed chairs and much polished tables and press. I caught my breath and grew suddenly grave and looked at the woman who sat opposite me. I was Mrs. Ida's nurse, she said. She t- told me to send for you. Who are you? Her husband. The woman looked at me with hard eyes. I was intense surprise. Struggled with resentment. Then I may forgive God forgive you, she said. What have you done? I don't know. But it'd be hard work forgiving you, even for him. Tell me, I said, my wife. Tell you? The bitter contempt of the woman's tone did not hurt me. What was it? It was self-contempt that gnawed my heart all these months. Tell you? Yes, I shall I'll tell you. Your wife was was the same to you. She never so much as told me she's married. Let me think again. I please sooner than that. She come here and said, Nurse, take care of me, for I am in mortal trouble. And don't let them know where I am, says she. And me being well married to an honest man, and me well to do here, I was able to do it by that by the blessing. What did you, what didn't you send for me before? There's a quiet anguish wrung with me. I never uh, sent for you. It was her doing. Oh, so thinks a godly almighty made men able to measure out such like pecks of trouble for us women folk, young men. I don't know what you did to make her leave you, but I must have been something cool. She loved the ground you walked on. She Ernest sit day after day, a looking at your picture, old talking 
but it all kissing of it. She thought I was not taking no notice, a crying till she made me cry too. She upset her coy all night, most of them day. One day when I told her to pray to God and help her through her trouble, she's out with her little putty face on the card, and she doesn't, doesn't, she says, with a poor little smile. That's my God, nursey, she says. Don't. I don't, don't, I said feebly, putting my hands to keep my out of the torture. Not, not any more, not now. Don't, she repeated. She risen and was walking up and down the room with clasped hands. Don't, indeed. No, I won't. But I shan't forget you. I tell you that I had you in my prayers time and time again. When I thought you were made a light of love of my darling. I shan't drop you out of earth. For now, I know she was your own wedded wife, as you chucked away when you tired of her. You left her to eat and out of her longing for you. And I pray to God above for us to forgive you, Scott, and a lot of you, a lot of you all, you've done and were. You killed my pray, my pray. Uh, Praise to be required for you, amen, even the uttermost farthing. O oh God in heaven, make him suffer. Make him feel it. He stamped her feet as he passed me. I was quite still. I bit my lip till I tasted the blood hot and salt on my tongue. She was nothing to you, cried the woman, walking faster up and down between the rush chairs and table. Any fool can see that you half an eye. You didn't love her, so you didn't feel nothing now. But some day you just care for someone. And then you shall know what she felt, if there were any justice in heaven. I rose, walked across the room, and leaned across the wall. I heard her words without understanding them. Can't that you feel nothing? Are you, are you Madison Stone? Come and look at her lying there, so quiet. She doesn't fret, or you nikes. You know, no one ill, no. She won't sit no more, a looking out a window, saying nothing. Only dropping her tears by one slow, slow on her lip. Come to see you, come to see we done to my pretty, and there they, you can go. Nobody wants you here. She doesn't want you now. Perhaps you'd like to see her safe on the ground with us. I'd be bound to put a big slap on her, or make sure she doesn't rise again. I turned on my hair, uh, her thin face as white with grief and impotent rage. Her claw-like hands were clenched. Woman, I said, I have mercy. She paused and looked at me. Huh? She said, have mercy? I said again. Mercy? You just thought of that before. You ain't no mercy on you. On you. She loved you. She died loving you. I, if I were a Christian woman, I'll kill you for it. Like the wretch you are. I wouldn't, I would though, had to swing for it afterwards. I caught the woman's hands and held her fast, in spite of her resistance. Don't you understand, I said selfishly. We loved each other. She died loving me. I have, lo- I lo- have to love, uh, I have to live to lo- loving her. If she's your pity, I tell you that it was all a, mis- was all a mistake, a stupid mistake. Tell, take me to her, and for pity's sake, let me, be left with her alone. 
You see, hesitated. Then said a voice, only a shard. Three, less hard. Well, come along then. We mo- moved across the door. As he wa- opened it, a faint weak cry fell on my ear. My heart stood still. What's that? I said. Asked promptly on the first hold. Your child, she said shortly. That too. Oh, my love, oh, my poor love, all those long months. She ain't said she sent for you when she got over her trouble, the woman said. As the climber says, I like him to see this little baby nurse, she says. Oh, little baby, it'll be all right when the baby's born, she says. I know you'll come to me then. You'll see, never said nothing, not thinking you'll come if you were leaving not dreaming as you would be her over husband or could stay away from her an hour uh, being as she was hush we drew a key from her pocket and fitted it into the lock she opened the door i followed her in it was a large dark room full of old-fashioned furniture there was wax candles and brass candlesticks a smell of lavender the four big foam poster bed was covered with white my lamb, my pretty poor, pretty, my poor pretty lamb, said the woman, beginning to cry for the first time. She drew back the sheet. Don't she look beautiful? I shook, stood by the bedside. I looked down at my wife's face. Why, just so I seen it lie my pillow beside me the early morning when the wind and the dawn came up behind the, on the sea. She did not look like one dead. Her lips are still red. She seemed to me that a tinge of cover lay on her cheek. It seemed to me that if I kissed her, she'd wake. But she put a slight hand on my neck. I lay her cheek together against mine. And that, and we wish tell each other everything. A week together. I understand and be confronted. So, as I stooped and laid my lips on her, as the old nurse stole from the room, but the red lips were like marble. She did not wake. You do not wait now, ever any more. I tell you again, there are some things that cannot be written. Three. I lay that night in a big room, filled with heavy dark furniture, in a four, great four-poster hung from the heaven, heavy dark curtains, a bed, a, a counterpart of what of that other bed. From whose side they dragged me at last. They fed me. I believe the old nurse was kind to me. I think she saw how. Now, that is not the dead who ought to be pitied most. I lay at last in a big, boomy bird. And lit house, the household noises grow forever, fewer, and die out. The little world of my child sounding latest. They brought the child to me. I held it in my arms, I bowed my head over its thin face and frail fingers. I did not love it then. I told myself it cost her life, but my heart told me it was. I who done that. A tall clock at the stair and head, head sounded the hours. Tw- eleven, twelve, one. And still I could not sleep. The room was dark and very still. I had been not able to look at my life quietly. I've been full of intoxication, of grief, a real drunkenness, more merciful than the calm that comes after. 
How I lay as the dead woman in the next room, I looked as if I what left la what was last what was left of my life I lay still and thought and thought and thought. In those hours I tasted the bitterness of death. I must have been about two that I first become aware the sight sound and not ticking the clock. I say I must become aware. And yet I knew perfectly I had heard a sound once and then once before, and yet determined not to hear it. It came out from the next room, the room where the coats lay. I did not wish to hear that sound, because I knew it meant I was nervous, absolutely nervous, a coward, a brute. It meant I was having, I, I having killed my wife as surely as though put a knife in her breast, and now sunk so low and to be afraid of a dead body, a dead body that lay in the room next to mine. The heads of the bed were placed against the same wall, and were wall I fancied I heard slight, almost inaudible sounds. So what I say, that I have come aware of them, I meant, mean, I at last heard a sound so distinctive as to leave no room for doubt or question. It brought me to a sitting position in the bed, a drops of sweat gathered up heavily on my forehead, and fell on my cold hands as I heard my breath and listened, held my breath and listened. I do not know how long I sat there. There was no further sound. At last my intense muscle relaxed. I fell back onto the pillow. You fool, I said to myself, dead or alive. She's not your darling, your heart's heart. Would you not near, go near to die or joy if she came to you? Please, pray God to let her spirit come back. I tell you she forgives you. I wish she, that she would come, I sort of answered in words, while every fibre of my body and mind shrank and quivered in denial. I struck a match, lighted a candle, and breathed more freely. I looked at the polished furniture, the commonplace details of an ornery room. Then I thought of her, lying alone, so near me, so quiet under the white sheet. She was dead. They could, she would not wake or move. But suppose she did move. Suppose the tunnel back the street got up. Suppose she turned back the sheet and got up and walked across the floor and turned the door handle. I thought I heard, painfully, unmistakably heard, the door of a chamber of death open slowly. I heard slow steps in the passage, slow, heavy steps. I heard the touch of hands on my door outside. Uncertain hands of heart felt for the latch, struck with terror, I lay, lay crunching the sheet in my hands. I knew well enough that come in that a door opened, a door in which my eyes were fixed. I dreaded a look, yet I dared not turn away my eyes. The door opened slowly, slowly, slowly. The figure of my dead wife came in. It came straight towards the bed, shook, stood at the bed foot. A great white grave clothes with white bandage under its chin. There was a scent of lavender. His eyes wide open. It looked at me with love unspeakable. I could have shrieked loud. My voice spoke. It was the same dear voice I loved so to hear, but it was very weak and faint now, and now I trembled as I listened. You aren't afraid of me, darling, are you? Though I am dead, I heard you said you to me you come. When you came, I couldn't answer. But now I come back from the dead. 
to tell you I wasn't so really bad as you thought me. Evie told me he loved Oscar. I wrote the letter to make it easier for you. I'm too proud to tell you that you were so angry. I'm not proud anymore now. You love me again now, won't you? Now I'm dead. One always forgives dead people. The dead, the poor ghost's voice was hollow and faint. A jet terror paralyzed me. I could not answer any, nothing. Say you forgive me, the thin, non-tonous voice said. Went on. Say you love me again. I had to speak, coward as I was. I didn't manage to stammer. Yes, I love you. I've always loved you. God help me. The sound of my own voice assured me. I ended more firmly than I began. The figure of my bed swayed a little unsteadily. I suppose, she said wearily, you would be afraid of me now I'm dead. It came round to you and kissed you. She made a movement as though she would have come to me. Then I did shriek aloud, again and again, covered my face of the sheet and wound it round my head and body and held it with all my force. There was a moment's silence. Then I heard of my door close. Then the sound of feet and my own voices. I went, I heard something very full. I disentangled my head from the sheet. My room was empty. The reason came back to me. I leaped from my bed. From the bed. Ida, my darling, come back. I'm not afraid. I love you. Come back. Come back. I sprang to my floor. Flung it door. Flung it open. Someone was bringing a light. Long patches on the floor. Outside the door on the death, death chamber was a huddled heap. A corpse in its grave clothes. Dead, dead, dead. She's buried in Mona courtyard. There was no stone over her. Now, whenever it was close to be, as the doctor said, or whether my love came back from the dead to me who loved her, I shall never know, but this is I do know. That is when I held out my arms to her as she stood at my bed's foot. I had said, Yes, even the way, my darling, when the hell itself came back, come back to me, if I had the, had the room, my coward's heart for anything but the unreasoning terror that loved her that hour. I should not know now, be here now, alone. I sunk, shrunk from her. I am her theater. I could not take her to my heart. And now she will not come to my me any more. What do I do? Go, why do I go living? You see, there is a child. He's four years old. And he's never spoken. And never smiled.